Welcome to Out With Dan, the podcast that spotlights and examines the voices of LGBTQ authors, characters, and our allies. Together, we lift our voices and we tell our stories. I'm Dan White. Join me as I chat with this week's author. Hello, and welcome back to Out With Dan. Today, I'm excited to chat with Tyler Gillespie about his book, The Thing About Florida, and its subtitle is Exploring the Misunderstood State. Welcome, Tyler. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so excited. I lived in Florida for uh, about 12 years in the 80s and 90s, and Florida is definitely the misunderstood state. Now there's some people that act out and they get in the news. They know they're gonna get in the news. They're looking for their 15 minutes of fame. I've seen it, done it. I probably, if you know, if the circus of media was a little more, maybe I would have been one of those, fortunately not. So anyway, but it, I love the fact that this book doesn't only talk about the Florida man, but it also talks about the myth of the Florida man. So wanna give us an idea of what the book is about? Yeah, so I started <clears throat> seeing the meme, you know, a few years ago, kind of circulated on the internet, and I wasn't living in Florida at the time. I had, uh, you know, moved out of the state, and so people would ask me about it frequently, you know, so I kind of decided to figure out, well, what is going on down here in Florida, you know, so that kind of started me to look into the history of how Florida has been portrayed in the news and, and why some of the headlines have been viral and you know the kind of phenomenon of virality and i'm really interested in what happens after the stories you know um so i kind of started to dig into that like our public records laws and you know all of that kind of thing and yeah and then i was able to interview somebody who had been a florida woman headline actually and then kind of found out what happened to her life after that because like you were saying i too at could potentially have been a Florida man at one point, you know, um, before the kind of the internet is what it was. So I wanted to see what it was like for somebody. I think it's important that I lived there before internet famous because, okay. <laughs> so I, I will share that when I lived in Miami, um, up in Fort Lauderdale, there was a gay bar called the Everglades bar. Okay. And during um, spring break, it was a everybody for themselves bar, but their big claim to fame was people came there on spring break and there was a contest to see how many live goldfish you could swallow. Mm -hmm. And uh, it has now since, you know, they don't do that anymore, but this is something that, you know, pre-internet and social media, I mean, it was a big phenomenon. People knew about it. All these college kids coming down and high school kids coming down, they knew about this place. And you get these reputations. But one of the things that I so loved about your book is not only do you talk about the Florida man, but you really talk about the real Florida that mm -hmm. a lot of people don't see. Yeah. Um, but you didn't tell us how many goldfish did you? So. <laughs> I, you know, I don't eat sushi. So that's it. That right? <laughs> that, yeah, I did. I certainly drank enough to be able to have swallowed goldfish that's for sure <laughs> the everglades was a fun place but i never went during spring break i knew better so <laughs> so yeah i i'm a fifth generation floridian so my family you know as long as 
have traced our family has been connected to the state, you know? So I grew up here kind of around a lot of folks seeing their everyday lives and that really has shaped me. And so also thinking about how, how your state's own reputation of, you know, in, in our case, in my case, like Florida man, how did that affect how people saw me and how I saw myself? So common journey for people because, you know, no matter where you're from, a lot of the times people hate it. Someone was telling me their daughters are living in New York City and they hate being from New York City, you know, and that's like my dream when I was a kid to be from New York City and not from Florida, you know. So it's it's kind of a that kind of journey, that kind of kind of narrative. But I wanted to look at some of the other myths about Florida, like you were saying, um, like about our environmental situation and and how the fantasy forest and the environment. Uh, looking at certain of those topics that were interesting to me. I found that uh, one of the things that I was so drawn to was the cattle farmers. I did not realize, um, having been up and down both the west and the east coast of Florida, I hadn't really been through the middle of it. And I didn't realize how many cowboys there were and how much cattle was raised in Florida. That's one of my favorite chapters. And because I wasn't really expecting to, you know, be that interested in cattle or cows. I mean, yes, cowboys, but you know. Um, but so I was writing about the about the states, about Florida's role in the Civil War and how they their one of their main contributions was producing cattle. And, you know, and I, I didn't know that. And so there are all these excuse me, cattle ranchers all over the state. <clears throat> and these folks often, and like the people that I talk to are eighth or nine, nine generations of Floridians, you know, including their grand, their grandchildren. And so I was able to hang out with some of them and a day in the life kind of thing. And, you know, they care a lot about the land too. And because the, these aren't um, mass produced agriculture or cattle farming, they're, they're you know, homegrown, family-owned kind of situation. So that's what I was focusing on, not these huge, like, you know, dairy farms. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, I was able to chat with them and talk about the environment and talk about how people want, how people's eating habits have changed. Because they told me, one of the cowboys told me the story about these folks who saw some cows, saw him and drove up on his land and was like, I want to eat this cow. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because people now want to know where their meat's coming from and you know but he was like that's not the way we do things like you know around <laughs> but, um, you know that I'll tag of... this one this one belongs to me right. yeah but one of the things that I noticed in that was their deep love for the land and the environment and clean eating and doing things that preserved the land and honored the land, which is something that I don't think most of us, when I get a steak at a restaurant or at the grocery store, I don't necessarily think of that. I mean, I would like a good one, but you don't, you don't always think what goes on behind just, not just the beef, but behind the farm and the farmer and all of that. And that's one of the things that was so interesting to me. And I think too, 
you know, I mean, as they were telling me, like their reputation has changed, you know, because they, I mean, some of them are, you know, conservationists. They put a lot of their land into these easements and things because it was also connected to Florida was having and is still having a lot of water quality issues with like the algal blooms and stuff. And people were blaming partially their ranching practices in terms of like the fertilizer runoff into the water and, and all of that kind of stuff. But you know, they were talking about, at least the people I talked to were talking about how seriously they take it and they test their water and all of that kind of thing. But I, I love that because there's um, one of the, I interviewed one of the rancher's wives and she was talking about how much time they have to spend with the cows, you know, it takes them about two years to get from a calf to, you know, a size where someone would want to purchase it to eat it or whatever and sometimes you know they have they get to know the cows they have personalities and yes. she was talking about how much like she was you know how much she when she was new to the ranch loved the cows and she would say she'd get special with them because she would name them and all of that <laughs> and, you know and then things would happen like they'd have to sell them or you know they would get like hit by lightning or you know die and it was really <clears throat> sad for her and and that really touched me i think because you know i don't think we i never thought about that perspective you know so i'm the same way you know as long as so i have a separation it's either in the grocery store or on a farm but i don't want to see the process but from one place to the other i'm a little more sensitive than that i <laughs> Which sort of brings me up to something else from my childhood, because I did go to um, several hog killings, for lack of a better term for it. I would go afterwards, you know, I'd go a little later in the practice. But one thing that, and I grew up in North Carolina, one thing I saw quite a bit there is the passion of Confederate reenactments or the Civil War reenactments, I think is probably a better uh, way to put it. And I was oblivious to that living in Florida as well. I did not know that was something that was um, as big as it is. Mm -hmm. I did in the South, but even though Florida is definitely the South, it doesn't always represent that way. So uh, mm -hmm. how did you like that part of the people you interviewed? I really enjoyed, so basically I didn't really know about Florida's role in the Civil War excuse me, even, you know, as a Floridian, I didn't learn much about my history or the state's history in school. You know, we learn about the Fountain of Youth and, and visit the Fountain of Youth, you know, whatever. Right. But, so it's like this mythology of the state without actually, you know, a lot of the lived experiences. And I found that to be true for a lot of Floridians who grew up in the state, you know. I, I, I mean, I think I vaguely knew that Florida was in the Civil War, but I didn't realize you know, its role and that people, they didn't really, they had a, weren't really fighting too much here because Florida was super undeveloped, you know, swamp land right. and things at the time. But there was the ba um, battle that I went to happened um, in the state. And so I was really interested in this idea that if I had been a Floridian at the time that I could have potentially fought in the Confederacy or been somehow, you know, connected to it and thinking about that and what do, what what kind of implications does that have in today's in today's moment for me like what responsibility do i have in terms of 
you know, race and other aspects connected to that. So I really wanted to understand why people do this, you know, and I think that's, I'm curious in why people want to do any of these things that I write about, but specifically this, because it is so controversial right now, you know, and so especially reenacting as a person in the Confederacy. So someone in the union was telling me, like, if you reenact as a union member, it's all, no, nobody's really bad, batting an eye. But then if you reenact as a Confederate, you could lose your job, you know, because we're associating that with uh, racism and sometimes neo-Nazism and like a lot of different things, you know? So I wanted to know why are people doing that, you know? When, yeah. When I was um, in Boston a couple of years ago, I went north and I drove up to Maine, drove along the coast. And there I um, came upon a union reenactment and the, it was sort of two camps. So it was one was a union reenactment and one was sort of like the pilgrims and stuff. And as you say, you know, history, I don't like history whitewashed. I like to know exactly what history is. There was extreme racism and a lot of hatred uh, during the Civil War. Yet it was some people's family, good, bad, or indifferent. And a few people or some people are highlighting their family. And then, of course, we also know in this world, their bigots will get a toehold in anywhere they can. So there is a responsibility of both. And I thought that in that section of your book, I thought you handled it with a lot of delicacy, but directness. And it was very, very interesting. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> I appreciate that. Because it was that was probably the hardest chapter because for me to write. I mean, like you were saying, a lot of people are doing it because of their family history. So I'm writing about my, my family history in a different kind of way. We're, we're kind of doing... I, you know, as mo a lot of people are. And, and I think now grappling with the fact that, I mean, as white people, like our histories are connected to these things. And so how do we, you know, handle that in this moment? And what do we do about that? Um, or what can we do about that? So it was complicated. And also, I don't think there are some people that didn't want to talk to me, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I didn't really know what was going to happen. But then I found that when I did talk to people and the people that I talked to, you know, I, and that's the thing that I say in the chapter too. Like, these are only the people that I talk to. I don't, and and only what they said to me. I can't know what would have happened if I was, a, you know, in a different moment or talking to what happened yeah. at camp at night when I wasn't there, you know. And I think, you know, we, as human beings, we have the ability to share our own narrative. But as human beings, we also have the the ability to change the narrative and not tell the truth. So I do agree with you. You have to sort of step gingerly and hope people are being honest with you. But as long as you're sharing what you experienced, you know, I, it is who I am, who I am, you are who you are, and we're simply sharing our experience. Exactly. And I think, you know, it was, I think it was like, you know, but this has happened before COVID, right? And so interest in the reenactors was also waning. And now I, I don't even know if they're reenacting it. I think I may have gone to one of the last ones, honestly, for at least that particular right. one, right? So I don't I don't really know what it will look like moving forward, but, you know. So you grew up um, in Clearwater or close to Clearwater, is that correct? In Largo, which is in near Largo. Clearwater. All right. 
So I know one of the things that when I lived in Florida and I would trip over to the West Coast, it was much quieter, obviously, than the East Coast. And when I say obviously, because the East Coast, Florida is like California. It's promoted a lot because of tourism. So Florida gets its narrative out, whether it's true or not. But sort of back in the day, say in the 80s and 90s, the West Coast of Florida was a lot less uh, populated than the East Coast. But now I've been back to St. Pete several times in mm -hmm. Sarasota and Fort Myers, and it's an entirely different world today than say when you were growing up. Mm -hmm. And as, as life changes, so does Western Florida as well. I loved Randy and his parents. And, you know, back in the day, you could get in a gay bar at at a fairly early age, you know, if you <laughs> smiled and winked the right way, most mm -hmm. of the time, you know, Florida, like Louisiana, has a had a very uh, liberal uh, agenda to selling alcohol, so it was usually quite easy. So, give us a little idea about Randy and what you discovered in gay bars and going to drag shows at an earlier age. So I grew up a Southern Baptist. I went to a Southern Baptist elementary, middle, and high school. And, you know, you couldn't, you would I'd be expelled for coming out at the time. And mm -hmm. I couldn't, and it's weird how the schools are because it was really hard for me to transfer schools. I try, looked into it, you know, in 10th grade, 11th grade, figuring out, oh, okay, you know, what's up? <laughs> I like guys, <laughs> you know, um, what do I do about this? And they made it hard for the the credits to transfer. So, because of like we had Bible class, like that was right. one of our classes, and we went to chapel and stuff like that. So I I had found a fake ID and on a college trip, and I had really short hair at the time, and this guy had buzzed hair, whatever, you know. So I was able to get into the bars, and <laughs> when I was like seventeen, you know, we were we were crossing the bridge to go to Tampa, which was always I kind of joke about it being like, you know, away from God's eyes in Tampa. Like I <laughs> and going to Oz. Woo, we're going exactly. to Oz. You know, that bridge just really separated it. Because you're right. I mean, where I live in Largo, it's a, or where I grew up. I live in St. Pete now, which has, like you were saying, completely changed in the past 10 years. It's, it's kind of it's fascinating, but in Largo, it is more retirement. It's a, it's a quieter spot, you know? And so I'd hit it to, to Tampa and there I would get in, you know, go early to get in for free. I was broke and all of that. And so I would, you know, talk to some of the, the people who were there as well, like some of the people and just hear their stories. And so that was a whole new world to me. And it's definitely, I think of it as a different kind of education at the time. I was learning so much about, you know, the, the community's history, the culture, media, you know, all of that kind of stuff. I, you know, it's also, it's it's interesting to talk about because now I'm, a, I'm sober, like I've been in recovery for over a decade, but I really like going to the gay bars because, you know, those conversations were happening and I, I, I don't know where else I would have been able to have them at that time. Cause you know, I wasn't feeling, I didn't know about community centers and right. programs that I don't didn't know about. And I'm older than you, but I can tell you that when I lived in Florida, there were none of those. There were no youth centers. There were no centers at all. You know, I remember there was a place called Lambda Passages, which was a bookstore in Miami that 
mostly carried gay and lesbian, uh, LGBTQ plus books, uh, magazines and stuff. But really, unless you went to a bar, you really couldn't get an immersion into gay life. And it's not like we get a toaster or anything. But, <laughs> but you know, if you're going to find out about your history, <laughs> if you're going to find out about your history, you have to find your tribe. And that was one of the things that was always one of the things about Florida. It was a really welcoming place when you went out and you had a good time. But that's where we found our history. And, and we made history. Exactly. And especially in the 80s and 90s. I mean, <clears throat> I'm I write about that in the, in the book, too. But that's something that I'm, I'm really interested in right now. But I was thinking about the youth center because I was literally out yesterday in downtown St. Pete and there's a metro center there that has like creative writing class and board games for youth and all yes. of these programs and everything like that. So it's it's really cool and exciting for, the, for those folks that didn't have that back. No, I didn't either, but I I do think it's so wonderful. And that is something uh, that is some other chapters in your book. You talk about people who like Nadine Smith, who make such a difference. They're these people who make life in Florida much better. And in this, you know, in this instance, Equity Florida, I mean, it's it's something that hopefully as we go along increases and we have more and more inclusion which is so very important in today's mm -hmm. world and i think too so like kind of connecting back to randy who is a drag queen who cut my hair i need to go back to him because his hair is not where it needs to be but anyway. <laughs> 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 you know trying something new um but anyway you know he was talking about how things because he's from my from, and he's from Pinellas Park, which is near St. Pete, and he used to get bullied super, super bad, so badly that he had to drop out of high school and, and went to and uh, went to beauty school, and his mom put him in beauty school, and he was performing in drag in the 80s and 90s during the, you know, the height of AIDS, and, and talking about how that transformed nightlife and friendships and family and the whole community, and that's when you were talking about the 80s and 90s, and in South Florida and the Keys and stuff like that has such a rich history because so many people were moving there at that time, you know? And and I think that's something that people don't often realize, like, and talking about Nadine Smith, who's been a, a trailblazer in Florida and Equality Florida and has done so much work. And, and, and I think that's the thing too, like, especially in this moment, people are looking at Florida right now after, you know, the with what the the current legislator and government is doing and it's like oh florida you know all this stuff is not a great place but it's like our history in terms of the lgbt community is, is actually really important and has affected the whole country in some kinds of ways which is also kind of what's i think making people scared about you know him like the passage of the don't say gay bill and things like that is because florida as much as people and this is what i write about in the book as much as people want to joke about Florida, you know, the Florida man, the pythons eating the Everglades, you know, all of these kind of things, like, it really is sometimes a barometer of what happens next. I mean, especially in terms of the environment, like thinking about the python and, and stuff like that. But politics, it, it's in a unique space, right? So I think that's, that's something that I really want and hope people will realize and understand is that there are people like Nadine Smith you know, other people who have been fighting for Florida, Floridians in the country, and they're continuing to do that. 
and, and um, you know. I think that is one of the greatest things about your book, The Thing About Florida, is yeah. the fact that we do see all different kinds of sides of Florida. We've only talked about sort of hit the surface on three things. There's a lot more in this book and there's, it's, it's a wonderful book. So I was in St. Pete having lunch with some friends of mine and I asked them if they knew a local writer or had a suggestion and your book was their suggestion. So it's a wonderful, wonderful read. It's completely nonfiction. It's your exploring your roots and where you came from and your home state. And I'm glad you wrote it. It's, it's important. And as the optimistic person that I try to be, Florida has a lot of issues right now, but Florida's had issues for years and it has managed to crawl out of the issues time and time again. So I am optimistic that just like the rest of the nation, hopefully we'll go in a lot more progressive way in the future. I'm on that page too. Honestly, I know that. Like, I don't know. Just hope is is really important right now, and and I appreciate you mentioning that and everything, and and that your friends mentioned it too. And you know, just for for folks, it, I kind of mix memoir, my personal writing, with archival research, looking at these old newspapers and documents with interviews about with Floridians um, across the state. Are you working on something now? I am. I'm working. Well, okay. Two things. I have a poetry collection coming out in um, 2023 in April, Poetry Month, which is completely is about machines and robots and love. <laughs> like, All right. I'm digging it. But the book that I'm working on right now is about LGBTQ communities specifically in Florida and how they've resisted in times of danger and peril like so starting with the john's committee in like the 60s and looking at different you know time periods and how floridians have resisted and what that can teach us um even from folks who aren't from florida like what that can teach us about our history and and also how to combat a lot of the negativity that's happening right now wonderful well i hope you'll come back and join me again because i don't want to talk about that because i lived that so <laughs> yes because you were talking about that bookstore too i'm going to have a chapter in the in the book about what books you know the role of bookstores because gay yes. specifically gay bookstores i mean we don't really have that many anymore and nope. you know but they at one point were super super vital Yes, I will say that honestly, from Lambda Passages, I discovered authors and books that I never would have discovered without them. So I applaud them. And, you know, it's it was a part of my life and it's a wonderful, you know, fabric to be woven in. And I like it a lot. Thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on out with Dan and chatting with me. Thank you for having me. This was so fun. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you. And do you want to share any kind of social media or website you have? So I'm on Twitter at Tyler MTG. My name is Tyler Michael Thomas Gillespie. So that's where that comes from. I'm on Instagram as that as well. I'm on Venmo as that Ooh. as well. <laughs> <laughs> no, whatever. Um, my, my website is just TylerMTG.com. Perfect. Thank you once again. And hang on for me and I'll be right back. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of Out With Dan. 
You can find more information about this podcast and its host at outwithdan.com, on Twitter at outwithdan, and on Instagram and Facebook at gooutwithdan. This podcast is hosted by Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, and the theme music is provided by bensound.com. Join us again soon for the next episode of Out With Dan.